let's say maybe 10 years ago, five years ago, people were like, you have to eat protein right after your workout mm. or you're like wasting your workout, right? Which isn't true. And then it was the complete opposite where some new research came out showing that the anabolic window isn't really all that important. And if you're consuming total daily, uh, you're consuming adequate total daily protein and total daily calories, probably doesn't make that much of a difference. And then people are like, oh, it doesn't matter at all. And it's like both of those extremes aren't necessarily correct, right? Because sure, if you're eating sufficiently, you don't have to have some protein like immediately after your training. It doesn't yeah. really matter. However, if you're somebody looking to optimize performance, optimize building muscle, optimize whatever it is you're trying to accomplish with your training, why not prioritize recovery as soon as possible, right? Mm. Just because there might not be a big difference between not eating and eating right after training doesn't mean that it's not important at all. All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Joey Munoz Show. Today, I have my good friend and colleague, Patrick. He's probably my only Irish friend. Pat, thank you for being here, my man. Pat has his master's degree in nutrition, has a specialization in sports nutrition specifically, and he's also my colleague. He works with me over at Team BioLane. He's a fantastic coach, and a lot of the work that he does is focusing on how to improve performance specifically, right? I know in this podcast, I talk a lot about fat loss, general health tips, really pretty basic rudimentary information, right? But I think this episode is going to be really interesting because we're going to talk about how to optimize performance a little bit more specifically, right? Uh, Pat, thank you for being on, my man. How are you doing today? Absolutely. Delighted. Delighted. We're just uh, getting out of bed here this morning. And then we had our little Joey was running off, taking care of the baby. I had to put my dog out. So we had a little rough start, but excited to be on. And just to give you kind of like a little intro to the performance nutrition, I know that a lot of your listeners are, you know, they don't have that goal of sports nutrition necessarily, but performance nutrition spans, you know, outside of just sports and athletes, but we'll dive into that, I'm sure. Yeah, man. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I know I gave you a shitty intro. <laughs> no, not at all. Not tell at us all. a little bit more about yourself. I know you've had years of experience giving seminar presentations on different nutrition related topics. Tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll go ahead and dive into the topic of sports nutrition after that. Yeah, just really quick, a funny story on the intro. Uh, about six months ago, I went to the FBI to do a workshop. Okay. And it was my first FBI one with this other company that I do speaking with. Yeah. And uh, I had gotten called in last minute because the other nutrition speaker had gotten stuck on their flight. And so I'm all nervous. I'm about to go up and start talking. And uh, our lead, the guy who introduced people, he says, okay, guys, so our nutrition speaker, she couldn't get here. So this is our Uber Eats driver. His name is Patrick. He's just going to talk to you guys about food, I guess. So it completely cut the tension. So uh, it was funny. Um, that's great. That's yeah, actually so really good. <laughs> it was good. It just completely relaxed, you know, yeah. and they were they were just normal people as well at the end of the day. But yeah, so I am, as you can hear from my accent, hailing from Ireland. I spent most of my life there, although I was born in Boston. So I always say I'm allowed to be here. And I'm back in Boston now. And I'm working with Team BioLane as a performance nutritionist. And I've been here for a little over a year. So I've been working with Joey and the whole team of coaches, which has been just an amazing experience. Other than that, I work with a company called O2X, and they basically just fly me around the East Coast of the US giving you know workshops. And I do nutrition speaking for firefighters, military, the Navy, like I said, FBI, um, just a bunch of other, we call those tactical athletes. And so what I explain to them is, 
okay, you know, I'm not saying that you guys are full on athletes because they laugh at that. They're like, Patrick, I'm not an athlete. I'm trying to lose some body fat. Like, give me some weight loss tips. But in a way you are because you're trying to optimize performance in your job. The same way as if you're a parent with a kid like Joey here sitting across from me, you're trying to optimize your performance as a parent and do your job. And, you know, nutrition plays a big role in that and optimizing your diet around what you can do. So that's kind of mostly what I do is I work with people in high responsibility jobs that also have a family that are just trying to optimize their diet and, you know, their habits rather than working with a ton of high level athletes. Although I have a few of those clients as well. Yeah, man, that's, that's super interesting, right? Because I think most people do think about nutrition from like a fat loss perspective, right? It's like, oh, what do I eat to lose weight? And we usually don't think about like, what should I eat or how should I be eating? I should say to help optimize my performance, right? And what you were talking about, like, these people technically being athletes, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it because they are, they have to perform, right? Maybe they don't have to be as lean as a basketball player or something like that, but their performance is still important, right? And I'm sure mm-hmm. as we're talking about this and people are listening, these things that we'll be talking about in today's episode are applicable to different aspects of life, like you just mentioned, right? In the context of people trying to lose body fat, improve body composition, your performance in the gym is really important. So if you can optimize your performance in the gym with some of these nutritional strategies, you'll likely have better improvements in body composition over time. If you are a busy entrepreneur, right? And you work up and you need to be energized first thing in the morning, you need to perform well with your job. Some of these recommendations will be beneficial for for that as well, right? Maybe not some of the recommendations in terms of like consuming carbohydrates prior to exercise to optimize performance, but maybe some of the hydration related tips, right? Because hydration and mental fog go hand in hand. And so some of these tips, if you're creative, are going to be really applicable and helpful for different aspects of your life as well. So let's go ahead and jump right into it, man. I think the first question I really wanted to ask you is you work with a ton of athletes, right? What do you see are some of the most common mistakes, like uh, easy, easy, what's, what's the, what's the term picking the easy fruit, right? The low hanging -hanging fruit. fruit, That's what it is. (laughs) I'm dude being, being, I grew up in a Spanish household and like my first language was always Spanish. And so I mess up so many of these phrases yeah, yeah, yeah. all the time. I'm like, cause you're literally really translating them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or just like, I didn't get the wording right. Cause I haven't really heard them that many times. Like I started hearing about these phrases, like as an adult, I'm like, Oh, that sounds cool. Let's use it. But what are some of the low hanging fruit that people miss or that athletes miss in particular that can be a really big changer, a game changer for overall performance, energy, et cetera. Yeah. So I think as a, as a broad stroke, most athletes that I would sit down with and have a chat, they're exposed to so much marketing from athletes, from pro athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're following these professional sports teams and there's a lot of supplements being pushed. So they're looking at the minutia and they're looking at the small details when it's really hard to sell them on just doing the basics consistently. Yeah. So, you know, I start every workshop off with the pyramid the pyramid of priorities and there's one for fat loss there's one for muscle gain and it's very similar for performance and it starts the bottom level so it works like the food pyramid where you know the bottom level has the greatest area and so it's just a pyramid with five levels and even if the top the top level you have the best of the best whatever that is and i'll get to it and it works 100% of the time, the amount of area that the little triangle at the top of the pyramid takes up, it pales in comparison to the bottom. So that's yeah. what I try to explain to people is like, even if the supplement works really well, it doesn't like, you still have so much more to gain by just eating enough. So those five levels are energy intake. And honestly, one of the areas I see athletes fall down the most is not eating enough. 
and not periodizing their intake for just high and low days, just like on a heavy training day, not eating the same amount of calories as you're eating when you're chilling. Yeah. So calories, macronutrients, or we could talk about, you know, food portions as a, yeah. you know, a different term for that micronutrients or food quality. So that's the first three. And they're kind of like the essential essentials that I think of. And then above them, you have timing, which obviously yeah. is a slight bit more important for sports performance and athletic performance. And then at the very top, you have perform uh, supplements. Yeah, I agree with that pyramid wholeheartedly. And I think those are some of the same things that obviously you and I work with slightly different populations, but the same recommendations in terms of priority, right? Yeah. Overall intake is, is most important. And then we talk about more specific details going from there. So what would be the benefits of like, let's say a young athlete, let's say a high school athlete or a college athlete really trying to take their performance to the next level? What are some of the benefits of really eating enough and, and focusing on perhaps actually gaining weight rather than trying to stay as small as possible, right? I think maybe if you're with like basketball players, because both you and I like basketball is like, oh, if I gain weight, I won't be as fast or I won't be able to jump as high, right? Are those myths? Are Is there any truth to that? What are some general recommendations there? And what would be some of the benefits of really focusing on eating more and building your bodily capacities there? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So I feel like when we don't have a great knowledge around nutrition, when we start to, when we say, okay, I'm, I'm trying to gain some muscle, I'm going to eat more, we go from eating too little to eating way too much. And then yeah. you see guys who do gain a lot more body fat than they want, and it might slow them down. So people have this idea of like, okay, if I'm eating more, then I'm eating more. But if yeah. we could just get, if we could implement a way of you eating more, but just eating a slight bit more, you know, a very moderate, what we call surplus. And I'm sure you've talked about that. Yeah. You just did a muscle gain episode, uh, a surplus where you're increasing your calories by a small amount, very purposefully. And whether that's through, you know, dietary tracking or not, yeah. I, I work with a lot of people and we have um, food portion tracking where we just use our hand. And then you'll be able to increase proportionally your training, your strength training in the gym. And you will see a kind of trickle down effect in your actual basketball training, or if we're talking to soccer yeah. players or whatever sport you're in, you'll see the increased energy availability. Yep. Um, but my, my experience with younger athletes is just under fueling pretty much across the board. Like yeah. I would say 70, 80% of the time, people are just under fueling for their maintenance because I'll tell you, I, I worked with a professional football team in Ireland and I remember meeting with each guy and a lot of them had muscle gain uh, goals. They were very, very skinny college students. And there was a few that, you know, needed to lose body fat, but most of them needed to increase their weight. And uh, Patrick, I eat so much. I, oh my God, man, I can't eat anymore. I'm always yeah. eating. But when I actually looked at their, I got them to track their food. I said, don't change a thing, which is a really important step in the process to, yeah, 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 to yeah. actually observe what you're doing yeah. first without changing, you know? Yeah. Um, and they did, in fairness to them, they just kept doing their thing. And I saw these guys are waking up at 11. You know, yeah. their first meal is probably lunch. It's yeah. probably some kind of like sandwich at a, we have this thing called a hot chicken roll in Ireland. It's like the main staple of food for a college student. <laughs> 15 grams of protein, maybe. And then dinner. Yeah. They're probably getting 50, 60 grams of protein. They need more than double that. Yeah. If you want to see any, and, and then the calories, they were vastly under consuming calories for maintenance. Yeah. So I think what you stand to gain is just being a bit objective with yourself, maybe downloading a tracking app. If if you're not achieving your goal, whether it's improved energy, you know, levels for training, uh, you're trying to put on some weight, be objective, download a tracking app 
and actually just get like a view, a snapshot view of your diet to see where you are. Not yeah, sure and I, I, no, that makes perfect sense. I, I guess what I wanted to talk a little bit more about too is, do you think, and I, I know the answer to this, but I want to hear what you have to say. And I want to hear your personal experience too, because I know you play basketball in the league. You've mm. also been purposefully gaining weight for the past, what, six months, eight months? Yeah, because I got to get there? to your guys' size. Yeah. <laughs> um, guys, funny, funny story when i first met pat it was obviously online because we work with team violin and we all live across the country and for some reason when i saw his picture i thought pat was like five three or five four like he just looked really short from his pictures and then i met him in person and he's like you're what six four six three around there six three six three. yeah and he, i was like holy shit <laughs> Dude, man, for some you reason have no idea you have no, no idea I had no idea man no 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 since that has happened yeah i've had like three or four different situations where people are like oh whoa you're way taller than I thought. And I'm like, is this something with like it's psychology? You, no, it's the bio lane. No, you know where they, they get kids to like draw people and then they sometimes they draw people smaller. Is it because I don't have a personality or something? I'm not no, a commanding dude. presence. No, I'm <laughs> telling you, I'm telling you, it's for some reason your bio lane picture, you just look shorter than what you are. Like I now like I look at you, I'm like, okay, he looks like a big dude. It's just, it's that bio lane picture, man. No, okay, Anyways, okay. <laughs> I guess what I wanted to discuss is like, you know, in what situations would you recommend an athlete to perhaps focus on gaining weight and what would uh, yeah. even be some of the benefits, right? And then maybe yeah. you can share your experience with how much weight have you gained in the past six or eight months? Have you noticed changes in your performance? Have you slowed down? If if so, if if at all, or has it actually improved your performance? Let's take a little bit around into that conversation. Yeah, that's, that's a brilliant one. So I'll relate it to basketball because that's my experience, but it pertains to so many field sports, so many team sports. Um, bit different for athletics and things like that, like, you know, individual sports. But for me, when I go into a gaining phase, the results are pretty stark. Like I can notice them right away. Just boxing out guys, driving through the lane, taking contact. The more mass you have, the more mass you'll be able to move. Right. Yeah. And I notice it pretty quickly, you know, a couple of weeks into a gaining phase, you know, I'm training very routinely. And the one thing that I also notice, and this is just it comes with a gaining phase is that you're going to gain fat and you're going to slow down a small bit, which is why I always recommend to athletes, you know, I'm a men's league now. It's not like I have one season in the year and then I have my off season. So I don't really mind, right? I'm in these leagues kind of throughout the year. But for athletes who are, you know, younger and they're in a high school career or something like that, or even a college career, you have to prioritize when you want to go through, like when you want to go into that phase, you have to organize that right. So I always say when you're pursuing a body composition goal, performance shouldn't also be your goal. So your mm -hmm. off season is perfect for either a fat loss or a muscle gain goal, because, you know, you go into a structured resistance training program and increase your calories and increase your protein. You don't know how you're going to respond. Some people start gaining weight really fast. Some people, you know, it's, it's a bit more difficult. So you don't want to be in season coming up to like playoffs and you're putting on this extra weight that you're not used to moving around. So I always say prioritize the off season for that. Now, if it's a small, you know, you want to add one to two pounds per like very um, gradually, that can be something you pursue in season, right? And, and if you're just increasing your intake, it's also going to help with your recovery from the sport. So that's perfect. But if you have a significant body composition goal, I really feel like that should be held for off season. And that goes for a lot of different sports, you know? Yeah. And in what situations would you recommend an athlete perhaps focusing on actually building muscle and increasing body weight? 
because I'm sure in some situations, perhaps it's not recommendable. And in some, it may be right. So maybe in the context of like, I don't know, let's talk about basketball again, but I guess this is applicable to any sport, right? Uh, what situations would you say, or if you worked with an athlete, you would recommend perhaps focusing on weight gain and building muscle? Yeah, I'll throw one that's probably not as well known because I learned it way too late in life. So I used to get injured all the time. I used mm. to get knee tendonitis, right? Yeah. Jumper's knee in both yep. knees. And it was really, really bad. And there was one year I almost had to take I almost had to take a whole year out of basketball. And I was always going into physiotherapists and they were telling me, Patrick, there's an imbalance. Your quads are too tight, your hamstrings are too loose. You need to stretch your quads. Okay, stretching, stretching, stretching. Years later, I had this calf or this Achilles kind of strain and I went in uh, just a little tweak and I went into a physio, told him about all my history and he's looked, watching me do these exercises and he's like, bro, you're just weak as fuck. Like, you're just weak. You need to yeah. strengthen your muscle. Forget all this stretching. The research is showing now that like we're tight because we're weak. Yeah. You need to get in the gym and you need to strengthen, you know, your muscle groups. You need to strengthen the quadriceps, the hamstrings and the calf muscle because that's why you're getting injured. And I was like, holy shit. So um, if you're prone to injury or you're in a sport where injuries are very common, get in the gym. It's the absolute number one thing you can do. And then obviously pair that up with sufficient protein and sufficient calories. Um, if you're training a ton, right? So sometimes, you know, I'm working with people and they're training twice a day and that doesn't even, you might not even be in competitive sport. You might just love training. Yeah. You need to refuel after those sessions. So I, a lot of people say when they look at recovery, they say, oh, I'll just be a bit sore in my next session. No. Or I'll just yeah. be a bit sore tonight. It's like, no, no, no. Your next session will be shittier. Yes. Because it, your recovery is almost like a way of refueling for your next session. Yes, yes, yes. You know, so if you train a lot, if you're prone to injury, and if you just want to improve your ability to take contact in your sport, yeah, gain a bit of muscle, you know, it... It really helps. Sometimes you think, oh, if I just gain muscle, is that really going to help me get stronger in my sport? Yes, it 100% will. What about from the perspective, I know you mentioned that acutely, right? In the short term, if you start focusing on building or increasing body weight, you might get a little bit slower acutely, right? You might yeah. feel a little bit heavier acutely. But long term, do you think it potentiates improvements in performance? For example, let's say there's a basketball player has hit a plateau on their vertical and they're really close to dunking and they've been doing all sorts of jumping drills, optimizing all sorts of things with their training, but they just can't jump any higher. Maybe spending six to eight months in a gaining phase, really improving the strength of the lower body. And then afterwards, losing that body fat that they gained would that improve their bodily functions 100 to jump higher yeah exactly 100 right? so, yeah There's so this is more no of like a a long-term strategy right it's not gaining weight for the sake of gaining weight but gaining weights can essentially increase your potential to then improve the different aspects of your performance right yeah yeah and it and it really takes that long-term outlook for for people you're going to gain some unwanted weight, but it's necessary and we'll go back down, but it's yeah. necessary if you want to gain the functional mass that that's yeah. going to improve your vertical, your speed, your power. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think these recommendations are probably more applicable to like younger athletes, right? Maybe high school athletes, maybe college athletes. And you see it in, I guess you see it in basketball and in football pretty frequently where there's like a pretty good college player, they're pretty skinny. And then in the NBA, they blow up in terms of size and Giannis. they're just like 10 times better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Giannis came into the league. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then they jump higher, run faster, take more contact, right? And it 
I don't know. I guess there's just so much fear around like purposefully gaining weight because weight is an important aspect of your performance, right? If you're heavier, yeah, you're going to be a little bit slower in the short term. But if you guys, you know, I don't think there's many like athletes listening to this podcast. Maybe there are, who knows? <laughs> but, you know, if if you really want to, or maybe even recreational athletes, right? Maybe people that play basketball on the weekends and enjoy or play soccer, whatever it is. If you want to be better at whatever sport you do, and this includes weightlifting because weightlifting is a sport, bodybuilding, powerlifting, whatever it may be, taking a period of time to slowly increase your body weight may acutely on paper not be beneficial per for performance because you're a little bit heavier. So even for lifting sports relative to body weight, you might not be stronger, but it does potentiate your ability to improve long-term. And if you're thinking about like, hey, a year from now, I'd like to jump a little bit higher or a year from now, I'd like to be able to run a little bit faster. Going through a purposeful gaining phase where you're actually increasing calories could be really, really helpful. Okay. So enough about really, calories. Really quick on that, yeah, Joey. Go ahead. Um, I know, I know that, you know, a lot of your listeners probably aren't in competitive sports. So that's not mainly who I work with. And I want people who are listening that play, I don't know, kickball on the weekends in a men's league, soccer, or indoor soccer. This is for you as well. And this yeah. is actually really directed at you. Why not have the goal of improving your performance? I don't really care what level I'm performing at. Like I always yeah. have the goal of improving my performance, you know, um, yeah. in your job. Have that goal. If you're doing something and with the idea of half-assing it, I don't know. I don't think it's worth doing. Even if you're just in this random pickup scrimmage basketball game on Thursday nights at the YMCA, yeah, yeah. have a goal of improving your, your performance there. You score yeah. 10 points tonight, score 20 next week. You know what yeah. I mean? So I that gives us joy. That gives us um It makes it more fun. It makes yeah. it more fun. And I think, yeah. I, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that, Pat, because I, I see eye to eye with you on that hundred percent. Mm. I think it also, it, it also comes down to the person's personality because some yeah. people just do stuff like for fun. They're just like, Oh, like I just want to do this for fun and not take it too seriously. And for me and you, it's like, if I don't take it seriously, it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I, I can't just do something like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the doing it that people don't get that. I guess the doing it itself is not the fun part. The fun part is like getting better or, yeah. or winning or like performing yeah. really well. That's what's rewarding at least yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. So I want to take a segue here and go from talking about energy balance and skip over macronutrients because I've talked a ton about protein requirements <laughs> and stuff like that. But let's actually talk about uh, a little bit more of a niche subject, which would be timing, right? Because mm. I think for, and actually I've changed my mind on this a good amount. I used to think like for fat, from a fat loss perspective, timing didn't matter at all. Mm. And that's just not right. It does matter to an extent, obviously not as much as energy balance does, but timing can influence energy balance, mm. right? And that's from the fat loss perspective, but from a performance perspective, what are some of the biggest nutrient timing recommendations? I'm assuming we'll talk a little bit about pre-workout nutrition, right? Hydrating properly before exercise. Perhaps we can even talk about like pre-workout supplementation, what might be helpful post-workout recovery nutrition. Let's go into some of those topics. What are some of the biggest nutrient timing uh, recommendations that you would give somebody trying to optimize their performance in any aspect of their life. Yeah. Yeah. So you make you make a great point that I, I always start with saying, remember the pyramid I showed and timing is the mm -hmm. second to last, right? So it's not one of the main big three pillars and it's kind of the same as fat loss and muscle gain, making sure you're just getting enough of the nutrient is far more impactful 
than the timing of it for sports yeah. performance. Like, And if I could interrupt you there just for a second, I think a really easy way to depict that or to explain that is because, for example, we'll talk about the importance of pre-workout nutrition. You should eat X yes. whatever foods before uh-huh. your nutrition, before your exercise, right? And that can optimize performance. But if you're not eating enough overall, yeah. your performance is still going to be shitty. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. so you need to be eating enough overall first, and then you can think about how to distribute your food throughout the day, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's like, think of, think of, I don't know, your energy um, fuel stores as like a trend graph. And if you're vastly under consuming them, you know, um, as a whole, the baseline is going to be way lower. Yeah. You'll get a little uptake from your, an uptake in the the trend from your pre-workout nutrition. But if you're fueling enough throughout the day, your baseline starting up here and then you'll get that uptick. So you'll be improving it far more. Um, so, okay. So pre-workout nutrition, the best thing you can do for starting a run, a training session fully fueled is to make sure in the 12 to 24 hours before you're getting enough carbohydrates, right? There's no need for this crazy high carb meal that people talk about, the the glycogen loading approach. You don't need to do that. To fill up your glycogen stores, which I'm sure you've talked about, Joey, it's just your your stored carbohydrate. It's like a fuel tank in our muscle and our liver. You just need to eat high carbohydrate meals 24, 48 hours before your training session, right? And I'm talking about something you're going to go out for like a five to 10 mile run or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just doing a nice light arm session in the gym, you don't need to worry too much about your fueling for that. So yeah. then you're moving. So that's the days before I like to say, then you're moving closer to the, the session. Yeah, let's say you have a training session at 12 o'clock tomorrow. Um, whether this is like a lift, a run, a men's league game or a women's league game. Sorry, I've said men's league a few times here. Um <laughs> Now what you want to do is you want to look at the type of carbohydrates, right? So in the hours before, you have plenty of time to break down and digest them. So what I say is you want to go from your whole grain to your more refined, white, flowery carbohydrates. Instead of brown bread, you want white bread, white pasta, white rice, breakfast cereal. The reason we want to go for those, and these are things that people stigmatize, right? Yeah. Because they've been refined and the fiber-containing part of the grain has been actually extracted. And that makes for faster absorption of the carbohydrate. Also, if you're eating fiber very close to a training session, it can, you know, the the side effect of eating fiber is uh, fermentation and you're going to get gas. And that gas and that bloating can oftentimes cause issues in the gut during training, especially if it's a very high intensity training session. So the two nutrients you want to kind of limit in the hours before training or competition is fiber and fat. Because they're the two things that slow down the transit of food through the GI tract, um, and they can cause some inflammation and bloating. So floury carbohydrates in the couple of hours before, and then as you're within the hour before your training session, now you want to go to simple carbohydrates, where you're just looking for whether it's sports drinks, you know, granola bar, or just an energy bar, um, some low fiber fruit. Um... What else? I, I just say like a white piece of bread with some jam on it and maybe a little bit of peanut butter, even though that has some fat in it. But things that are sweet and that they're going to give you that kind of like, they're really tasty and they almost, when you eat them, you almost feel like you have more energy because to be honest, they're not going to have much of a physiological effect unless your training session is like 90 minutes to two hours. Yeah. They're not gonna, there's not going to be enough time for you to actually break them down, digest them, and actually utilize that carbohydrate. Instead, what they're going to do is we see they can activate pleasure receptors in the brain and almost tell us that we're more fueled than we are. And yeah. that can help. That can help. So yeah, yeah, that's my main 
yeah that's that's uh it's it's really interesting the I would say the parallels, but it's almost like the opposite of what people think when it comes to fat loss, right? Yeah. Or just general health. People are like, oh, refined carbohydrates are so bad for you, or you should avoid sugar. And then when you talk about sports performance in the context of improving overall performance, it's like, no, these things are actually great and they have a lot yeah. of utility. And actually, you should be using them if you're an athlete or somebody trying to optimize performance, right? And it's like, that's pretty much what I tell my my clients too. Usually I have some clients who like working out first thing in the morning and they used to train fasted. I'm like, don't train fasted, eat something. It's like, oh, I can't mm -hmm. eat something because it bothers my stomach. It's like, no, no, no. You want something that's very easily digestible. Maybe a whey protein isolate, 15, 20 grams with some water and a piece of fruit, like a banana is great or just something that's high in sugar. It's like, oh, isn't sugar bad? No, it's going to help fuel your performance, right? Because if you have some carbs in you, especially if you're training first thing in the morning, it's really going to help provide some glucose, which you're going to use for exercise. Yeah. And actually, you brought up something really interesting. It's not even the fact that like that food itself is directly going to fuel you. Because to be honest, if you have some excess body fat or you're not in a caloric deficit, you have plenty of fuel in your bloodstream. Right? But there's actually really cool research on this from a resistance training perspective that simply eating something, even if it's non-calorie containing, can improve performance, which is wild. Right. So it does have to do something with your nervous system or some sort of chemical signals going on that you are sensing that you are in a more fueled state. Right. And yeah. the particular study I'm, I'm thinking about, I don't even remember the specifics of, of the methodology, but essentially they gave people either water or this like sludge thing that, oh, I remember it was two different preparations of this sludge. One had actual sugar and the other was like artificially sweetened or whatnot. And it was mm. non-caloric. And they both improved performance compared to just water, but they were both equal in terms of the improvements in performance. Wow! So it just goes to show that just eating something, yeah. having something in your stomach will help improve performance. And the goal here is not to feel full. It's simply just to get some fuel in yes. you so that you can train. And that's pretty much it, right? I, in any situation, I would say these recommendations are probably even more important for people who train in the morning. Right. Because if you train in the afternoon, you've probably already had breakfast, lunch. It's probably not that big of a deal. Again, timing isn't all that important. If you're uh, somebody who's trying to get like that 1% boost in performance, yeah. then you should probably really hyper focus on the meal that you have 30 minutes or 60 minutes before training. But for those people who train in the morning or do anything that requires either physical or, or like, yeah, physical performance or mental performance, you're going to benefit from fueling before. Right. And so, for example, with with the carbohydrate intake, do you have some general recommendations in terms of quantity, let's say 30 minutes before exercise or an hour before exercise? I know we should be having simpler carbohydrates the closer we get to exercise. But is there a certain general range in terms of quantity that you like to, to recommend? Yeah, but just really quickly, I want to jump back because um, you make a really good point on, on just what you were saying. So it's just really funny that you think when I'm coaching and putting out all my content to social media, you think you're addressing certain issues all the time. And then when you actually get people's feedback, it turns out that you're answering different questions sometimes. So I'll give you an example, right? I think I'm always trying to tell people just to, to eat more and carbohydrates are more important. And then I put out a thing, a question box a few, a few days ago. And I said, what have I, what has this page taught you about sports nutrition? And I got so many replies about um, just eating before training has been so huge. I had a call yesterday with all my clients 
and we went around um, the kind of the group. Each person told me what they've learned and what they've improved. All of them were saying eating before training. I have a swimmer there. I have rock climbers. I have people just going to the gym. And I was like, holy shit. So maybe this is really something that people don't know about. So yeah, it's just, yeah. it's funny that it across the board and people I've worked with and had interactions with eating before training has really impacted, you know, their performance. Yeah. Um, okay. So in terms of the quantity, it depends, right? So we, we do have, you know, ranges for athletes going into like a competition, but in terms of the meal prior, I just say anything between 50 and hundred grams yeah. in your meal. But here's the thing you want to be careful and you want to observe how you respond to a higher dose of carbohydrates prior to training. Because some people, if they have 80 grams of carbohydrates when they're pre-training meal or snack, they feel like shit. And, yeah. you know, and it might not necessarily be too high in fiber. It's just they respond poorly or, or adversely to that amount of carbohydrates. My main tip there is to hydrate alongside the carbohydrate intake. That can really help with the transit through the GI tract. And also just start at a small intake and watch and observe how you respond to it. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And then really lastly, on the carbohydrate, the feeding with carbohydrates versus the non-caloric sludge, mm -hmm. that comes in sports performance. We have these studies that are carbohydrate mouth rinsing, which is where yeah. they give cyclists 60 minutes into you know a cycle. They give these cyclists a sports drink and they're told, swish it around in your mouth and then spit it out. Yeah. So like physiologically, okay, there might be a tiny bit of carbohydrate digestion in the mouth, right? A tiny bit, but yeah. mostly no, right? And these guys actually perform longer. They, yeah. they hold their intensity longer. And that's just what you're saying. It's something to do with the nervous system. And yeah, it's yeah. very interesting. Or maybe even like sweet receptors in your tongue. Yeah. Thinking that you've consumed something when you. Really well, that's what they think. Yeah, yeah, that's what they that's what they think it is. Yeah. No, that, that stuff is really interesting. It's like, it's, I don't know how practical it is because like, why would you tell somebody not to swallow it? Right. It's like, why would you tell somebody to swish something and then spit it out? Well, because they, they get GI distress. Eat. Yeah. But even, it, well, this applies to people who wake up at 5 a.m. I know a lot of people in this, listen to this podcast are, you know, busy professionals. The only time you can train is in the morning. Uh, Joey and Patrick, I can't eat. I'm waking up at five to go train. Have a little dole fruit cup. That's sweet fruit cup. Yeah. You know, I have a client who eats the applesauce packets, have a little kind granola bar. Yeah. That sweetness will help you just get up and ready for the training. Like you'll be walking into the gym a small bit more up for it rather than walking in wrecked, tired and, oh, it just get something sweet in. That's my it main does. tip. You know? it, it is important. And you know, it's, it's funny because for Junior, uh, mm. our son, we've been buying him. So for those of you guys that don't know, my baby's eight months old, so he's not just starting, but it's probably been like two months now. We're giving him like solid food, solid. Mm. It's like purees essentially. And at Costco, we've been getting these like uh, fruit purees that come in the little pouches, kind of like the, like the sports gel them. packages. Yep. I haven't, but I've highly considered it. It's like banana and apple, dude, it's delicious. Yeah. And like for training, this is, this would be really good for training. You know, they should, from a marketing perspective, have the same exact product, yeah. <laughs> but like, sports performance <laughs> I, I know a ton of athletes who eat those things yeah they're great yeah. they're great yeah um okay so identified some pre-workout nutrition stuff the most important thing is going to be carbohydrate intake like you mentioned mm -hmm. and again it's more important the longer the duration and the higher the intensity of your workout right yeah now from a recovery standpoint after training what are some important things to consider there and then one important thing that i think you could touch on is 
for athletes that maybe have, like you mentioned, multiple workouts in a day, or even like multiple events over a week, and they really need to speed up recovery as much as possible. Mm. What are some ways to do that with nutrition? What would be some ways to increase glycogen resynthesis as quickly as possible post-exercise? Let's talk about some of those things. Yeah. So before we get into the multiple days, let's address the first point, just basic low-hanging fruit that you can start implementing and that I see people overlooking is eating after training. So a lot of people have training in the evening or later at night, especially if it's like a sport. Most people work, so they're organized 7 p.m., 8 p.m. Just make sure you're not sacrificing food for getting into bed. I know sleep is hugely important, but that meal post-workout is equally as important. Get that in. If that means pushing bedtime off, you know, half an hour, an hour, and then sleeping a bit longer in the morning, or just having to sacrifice that half an hour of sleep, that's what I recommend. Because if you then train tomorrow, and this is getting to what Joey says, if you don't have a huge amount of time in between your training sessions, the timing aspect of your post-workout carbohydrate intake becomes more crucial. So we have this kind of window of between 30 and it's as short as 45 minutes. It doesn't even really span longer than an hour after training session where when we consume carbohydrate, it will be a lot more efficiently uptaken as glycogen and stored as glycogen. So it's like our replenishment systems are a lot more efficient in the 30 to 45 minutes post-workout. And that workout, it doesn't have to be a, like a very high intensity, but it should be a decent workout of 45 to 60 minutes at least. And it could be like an intense resistance training session or a sports training session. So making sure you're getting a good dose of carbohydrates in that post, like that window after. Now, if you don't have another training session until again tomorrow night, so you have 20 to 24 hours, yeah. you don't really have to worry about that that very short window. Yeah. So what I always tell people is like, forget about the anabolic window with the protein. And now focus on the carbohydrate window, because that's actually shown to, to be really important. quick, really quick. Why is carbohydrate important post-exercise, right? Because most people think, oh, post-exercise, protein, 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 protein. Yeah. Maybe you can touch on, are we depleting glycogen during exercise? Why is it important to resynthesize glycogen? For example, why are carbs important both pre and post-exercise? Yeah. So if your training session is anything really above 55 to 60% of your maximum intensity, right? That sounds complicated, but like, just think of like your maximum intensity. If you're working out hard. Yeah, you're working yeah. out hard, right? Just think of it like that. You're primarily utilizing stored carbohydrate as glycogen, as your main fuel source, right? It's our preferred fuel source and we only have a limited amount. It's not like fatty acids where we basically have an unlimited storage of it. Yeah. You know, and uh, what people don't tell you about going keto and going low carb yeah, you can train forever and you feel great, but your pace and your intensity are probably significantly lower than if you are fed with carbohydrates and you have plenty of carbohydrates in the system, you know? So you can absolutely be a low carbohydrate athlete, but I think you're going to be at a much lower intensity. You're not going to be able to reach the same intensities. Um, Performance so is definitely impaired on low carbohydrate diets. Yeah. That's, that's well Without, documented. Yeah. And the whole idea that you can exercise longer, harder is not true at all on low carbohydrate diets, like carbohydrates are essential for performance because like you just mentioned glycogen, like you need carbohydrates to perform. And if you don't have them, you're just not going to perform as well. Right. Yeah. And the metabolic processes that you're going to use to produce energy, if you're not consuming carbohydrate are not going to be as efficient as literally just taking glycogen, which is stored carbohydrate in your muscle and immediately using it for energy. 
Anyways, didn't mean to yeah. interrupt you. You go ahead. <laughs> no, no, that's an absolutely great point. And so just, and that's where the theory of refueling carbohydrate after a session is yeah. coming from that you're actually, you're bringing down that store, mm-hmm. right? Especially if your training session is long, right? If it's more than an hour, you're significantly depleting that store. Yeah. And like I said, you don't have this unlimited depot of, of glycogen. Yeah. We store between four and 600 grams in the body. Some people a bit less, some people a bit more. It depends on the amount of muscle you have because we store it mainly in the muscle, but also a small amount in the liver. And you need to replenish that going into your next session. And oh man, there was this really cool study that looked at, I don't want to get into the athletes again, but they looked at collegiate athletes and these people were starting their training session very underfueled. Now this was a pretty intensive study because they to to see what people's muscle glycogen is, they have to do biopsies of their muscle tissue which is insane. Like you're taking a chunk of people's muscle, but they did find that these people who thought they were eating enough, but they were starting training with half of the fuel that they needed. So that could be the case for you, whether you're going in and doing a heavy lifting session or a run, make sure you're refueling after the session with carbohydrates, because that impacts going into your next session. You know, stop thinking about it as recovery. Think about it more as fueling for your next session. Yeah, no, that's an interesting way of putting it. And I think, you know, this recommendation, well, I guess we're talking about post-workout nutrition, but um, yeah, it's, you know, even for people who may have like two events back to back within a short time period, it's like, you need to re refuel your glycogen stores essentially as quickly as possible, right? And this also touches one interesting topic. And again, we're getting into like more niche topics here, but the idea of multiple transportable carbohydrates, right? Where it's like, hey, if you train in the morning and then you train again in the afternoon, and that's probably not most people, but maybe professional athletes or people who want to become professional athletes who may have like a lighter technique session in the morning and like a more intense lifting session in the afternoon or whatever it may be. After that first session, if it's relatively intense and you have depleted glycogen, and again, as Pat mentioned, if you're training pretty hard and you're training longer than an hour, you're likely depleting glycogen to a certain extent. You need to refuel that glycogen as quickly as possible. Ideally, eating as soon as possible after training is going to be best. And then if we really want to optimize it as much as possible, there's some evidence that consuming caffeine alongside carbohydrates can help increase the rate of glycogen resynthesis. And then also consuming what are called multiple transportable carbohydrates. Sounds like a fancy name. It's not. It just means eating different types of carbohydrates. Why is that important? Because for certain carbohydrates like glucose to actually get into our cells, They need what are called transporter proteins. These transporter proteins are little proteins that sit on the membrane of your cells and they allow for things like glucose to get inside the cell. So if you're just consuming glucose, then that transporter becomes a limiting factor, right? Because if there's not enough of that transporter available, you're not going to absorb glucose as quickly as possible. So it's like a late rate limiting step. Whereas if you have two different types of carbohydrates, let's say glucose and fructose, for example, fructose uses a completely different transporter than glucose. So you can theoretically absorb the carbohydrate twice as fast and resynthesize glycogen twice as fast as well. So for those of you guys that are listening, that are probably very, very few that really, really want to optimize the recovery aspect as quickly as possible, have simple carbohydrates immediately post-training, ideally I mean, most people don't even think about having caffeine after a workout, right? You definitely don't have to have caffeine after a workout, but if for some reason you have another workout session, like an hour or two, caffeine may help slightly to speed up the rate of glycogen resynthesis and then having different sources of carbohydrate. If you have fruit contains both glucose and fructose, so you're good there. 
right? Yeah. But that's really one of those cool, like more sciencey topics that I like to talk about because it's just cool, right? Like I nerd out about this stuff. Awesome. I think it's cool yeah, to know and, how like the different carbohydrate sources are important. And I couldn't have explained it better yourself. That is a hundred percent the pathway and the kind of logic behind the multiple transportable. Two other things that you can focus on the post-workout window to optimize glycogen resynthesis is creatine, interestingly. Mm -hmm. And also if you don't have a lot of carbohydrate, like if, I don't know, you have a granola bar as a snack, getting protein in with that. So yeah. If you don't have a really like a lot of carbohydrates and you still want to optimize the replenishment of glycogen, having a dose of protein alongside it will help. But it doesn't matter if you have plenty of carbohydrates. So the additional protein won't really have much of an additional effect or benefit yeah. if you have plenty of carbohydrates. Obviously, yeah. the protein is really important for the recovery of muscle though, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's because some of those amino acids can actually be converted into glucose and used for glycogen synthesis, right? And then your body's going to optimize or your body's going to prioritize whatever recovery pathway is most important immediately, right? So if you have like no glycogen, you might be using some of that protein to help resynthesize glycogen. So that's a really, really interesting tip there. And, yeah. you know, I did want to go ahead and move into talking about protein a little bit because, uh, you know, like back, go ahead. Yeah. Can you hear that? You're going to have to cut this here. So just timestamp it. No, I can't hear it. it. It won't be cut out. It's okay. It's all good, man. Natural conversation. Don't worry. <laughs> it's it's like some someone's doing construction out here on the street and it's like really no. loud. You can't Think hear it at all? No. Thankfully, you and I have really fancy $5,000 mics that don't catch anything except their voice. <laughs> nice. the, uh, uh, Gabby's doing work in the bathroom, like right there, and you can't hear any of it, which is nice. Wow. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> But what I was going to say about protein is, you know, with the anabolic window, I, I'd say, let's say maybe 10 years ago, five years ago, people were like, you have to eat protein right after your workout mm. or you're like wasting your workout, right? Which isn't true. And then it was the complete opposite where some new research came out showing that the anabolic window isn't really all that important. And if you're consuming total daily, uh, you're consuming adequate total daily protein and total daily calories, it probably doesn't make that much of a difference. And then people are like, oh, it doesn't matter at all. And it's like both of those extremes aren't necessarily correct, right? Because sure, if you're eating sufficiently, you don't have to have some protein like immediately after your training. It doesn't yeah. really matter. However, if you're somebody looking to optimize performance, optimize building muscle, optimize whatever it is you're trying to accomplish with your training, why not prioritize recovery as soon as possible, right? Mm just because there might not be a big difference between not eating and eating right after training doesn't mean that it's not important at all. And again, we're talking about hierarchy of importance here, but for some people, a half a percent or a 1% benefit is a big difference, Yeah. right? Especially when, if you're a professional athlete, stakes on the line, whatever, but even for recreational athletes, athletes like myself, I'm not a bodybuilder, but I love training in that way. And for me, if I could do something that will give me a small 1% boost, if it's not that big big of a deal, like prioritizing my food right after training, I'm going to do it because I want that small benefit, right? So just because something doesn't matter all that much doesn't mean that you shouldn't prioritize it if performance, building muscle, whatever is part of your goal. Yeah, I think I think that's such a good point. It's like, I don't know in nutrition if things can be so clear cut as they 100% don't have an impact or they 100% do. Yeah. You know, what I tell people is like, stop losing sleep over, you know, you have these guys, they're barely out of the squat rack and they're shaking up their protein. It's like, you don't need to get it within, you know, 20 minutes after, but if you can get, you know, a dose of protein, like the anabolic window spans longer. So we have, you know, 90 minutes to almost two hours 
ideally you'd get a dose of protein within two hours yeah. before and after your training. So I'm not saying like, forget about protein. I want you to actually get a before and after, but I'm yeah. just saying you have a bit more flexibility than people think. Yeah. It's so funny that you brought that up dude. when I was, so I started lifting when I was 15 and I used to go to this small little gym by my house and I would walk there after school and I would bring my shaker cup and in my shaker cup, I had a scoop of protein and like two servings of powdered Gatorade like in there. And as soon as I finished the last rep of my last set, <laughs> I would run to like to. the water fountain, fill it up, shake it up and like drink it immediately, dude. I wouldn't let people like interrupt me or talk to me or anything. I was like, hold up, I need to drink my shake. And then we, we I had talk. a friend like, exactly like that, man. It's yeah. so funny because you like, think you're hey, losing gains by the second. It's straight up, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that stuff was hilarious, man. Um, so yeah, so we've touched a little bit on pre-workout nutrition, a little bit on post-workout nutrition. For those of you guys listening, I'm sure you've noticed that we're pretty um, open-ended here with not giving like very specific recommendations of this food at this time with this quantities, because it doesn't really matter. Yeah. What matters is that you consume something before training 30 minutes, 60 minutes, ideally. Right. And you know, for people, we talked about for people that work out earlier in the morning, but even for like busy professionals that may like have a breakfast or a light lunch, let's say they have lunch around 1130 noon and they work till 5 p.m. And then right at 5 p.m. they get off work and they go to the gym. It's like you probably need to fuel before the gym, right? So if you've had a big meal and say, and when I'm talking about a big meal, I'm talking about maybe 600, 700, 800 calories here, two, three hours before your training, you probably don't have to have something else like 30 minutes before your training. If you're lifting weights for an hour, hour and 15, like you probably don't need to have anything, but if it's been several hours, you definitely want to have something, ideally some simple carbs. Like we were talking about how much, right? I'd say at least 20 or 30 grams, perhaps is probably a really good starting place before that training session. If you, if it's been several hours, but since you've uh, eaten, maybe having some easily digestible protein as well, not that the protein is going to help benefit performance. And we talked about this in depth in one of the episodes too. It's like you evenly, you want to evenly space out your protein as much as possible, ideally. Yep. So having yep. a small little bolus before training would be beneficial. Then go ahead and train and then go ahead and prioritize your recovery by consuming some carbs and protein immediately after training as well. And mm -hmm. this doesn't have to be a huge meal, right? It's just maybe another piece of fruit, maybe another small piece of protein right after your training. And that can be something that you can have with you in your gym bag. Like you can literally have a cup like this put a scoop of protein and bring a banana to the gym. Not that hard, right? Uh, and for people that say they can't do that, you're not prioritizing because it's not that hard to do that, right? Like it's really just yeah. not that hard to do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, okay, so one thing now that I want to talk about moving another step forward, I really want to touch on hydration because I know hydration is really important. And I know a lot of athletes even start to training dehydrated, especially people who train in the morning perhaps, right? Have gone all night without drinking any fluid, wake up, go exercise, perhaps haven't had any fluid. So let's talk about the importance of hydration, general hydration recommendations, and how would you assess whether somebody's hydrated? And then I also want to finish off by talking about supplementation, right? From a performance perspective, like, do you recommend any sort of intra-workout type of supplement? If so, which ones and what situations? Because I know everything is context dependent too. Let's go ahead and go into those topics and let's talk about hydration a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Hydration is a big one. And I'm sorry, my dog is going crazy out here. Dude, I, I don't hear him many... at all. I That's just crazy. Don't even worry like, about it. I don't hear my mind. I have this construction on the street and my dog's scratching the window. So we have like a little palm ski. It's like a half husky. Joey knows it's half husky, but he got all the husky traits. <laughs> he's just howling and he's so vocal. But yeah, so hydration. And, you know, I get a ton of questions about hydration. The main tip I'll give them is try and maintain light yellow urine throughout the day. Your urine color is the most practical, widely used test all the way up to professional sports. 
you know, the only other ways to, to monitor someone's hydration status, they're pretty invasive and they're pretty expensive. So all the way up to professional sports, we use just urine color, not necessarily the frequency of your urine, right? Because sometimes that can be changed in response to like your acute intake, right? So the color of your urine is the best measure. And again, this is a mistake I made early on in my career. You're not trying to get clear. I used to think it was like you're trying to maintain clear pee. It's not the end of the world if you're peeing clear. It just means you're drinking a bit too much. It doesn't mean, you know, you're going to die. You're overhydrated. It's just light, pale urine. That's what you're looking for. Why is it bad for urine to be clear? So you're basically, you're getting too much fluid in. And if you're active, if you're very active, um, what can happen is you're getting the, the ratio of fluid to electrolytes is disproportionate and something can develop called hyponatremia. And yeah. this, the symptoms of this are actually very similar to dehydration. Yeah. So it's like the symptoms of overhydration are very similar. And this is actually more common in athletes and people who are active than dehydration. Because I feel like nowadays there's such an emphasis on, you know, hydrating. You see people walking around with these fucking massive things of water, yeah. Yeah. you know, and they're just going over the top. So I'll talk about specific recommendations for water intake, but you know, I've listened to some pretty high up researchers on fluid recommendations. And they say for most of us that aren't training at really high intensities, like thirst is perfectly fine to use as yeah. a marker. Like I hate when people say, oh, if you're thirsty, you're all, you're, you're basically dead. Like you're basically dehydrated. It's like, okay, okay. We get thirsty a lot. You come out, you, you know, you play 60 minutes of basketball and you're thirsty. Does that mean like yeah. I'm severely dehydrated? No, it's just my body saying, Hey, you need some water, buddy. Yeah. So for a lot of us, thirst is fine. Um, as, as long as you're sipping water throughout the day and you don't wait until you, you have that thirst sensation for your first drink of water. But I have a recommendation of 30 mils of water per kg of body mass. Okay. Okay. So, um, and, and then there's other recommendations. Uh, do you know what that, do you know what that translates to, to pounds, uh, yeah, to, I think it's... to cups per pound? It's all cups good for those of you guys. Just, just, cups just per Google, pounds. Google. Yeah, yeah, like how many you, cups of water per pound of body weight? I definitely don't know what it translates converts to there. Um, I feel like cups is like the most, uh, or ounces, I guess, is the most common thing that we use, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so for me, that that ends up at two point seven liters. The reason I'm using the metric system is not because I'm Irish and I'm trying to push that on everyone, even though it's very logical and it makes sense. But um, the reason I'm I'm saying that is that's what they use in the research. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. water recommendation, that's what's used in the research. So yeah, we can convert it, but sometimes it's just better practice to to translate that yeah. directly. Would you so argue? Would you argue that a gallon per day is probably too much for most people? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So funny story about that. We just started the hard seventy five. Have you ever heard of it? I've heard of it. I don't know the specific details, but yeah. So it's one of the things is a gallon of water, and it's like. It's kind of anti-scientific because it's a gallon of water for everyone. My girlfriend is literally yeah. <laughs> 110 pounds and she's drinking a gallon of water. And I'm like, no, 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 you're not drinking a gallon of water. That's absolutely stupid. So we yeah. brought her down in the water intake because that's just ridiculous. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I, so so there's this, um, oh, I'll link you the podcast episode. And it's basically one of the world's most esteemed researchers in um, hydration for athletic performance. And he said, giving a recommend, like a blanket recommendation for people in terms of water intake, like the 12 cups or the 10 cups is as stupid as giving everyone the 2,500 calorie generic goal. Like yeah. it's based on your activity level, your body mass, your sweat rate. Different people have different sweat rates. Some people yeah. start sweating, leaving the house. 
And some people have to be, you know, 35 minutes into a high intensity session before they start having a bit of sweat. So that's important, you know? Yeah. And yeah, that's perfect, man. I think the urine test is what I tell all of my clients to be like, how much water should I drink? It's like, it doesn't really matter. Just when you pee, if it's fairly translucent, light yellow, uh, you're probably good, right? Because that's a very, I was going to say indirect, but it's actually a very direct way of knowing whether you're drinking enough water or not, right? Now, I know that from a lot of people who work out early in the morning, you know, uh, you've gone probably eight to 12 hours without drinking water. You slowly become dehydrated overnight and perhaps they wake up and they go exercise. It's not a good idea, right? What are some really simple ways to quickly hydrate in the morning? Because I know, you know, you drink water also takes a little bit of time. It's not like you drink it and immediately it's in your bloodstream and immediately goes into your cells and you're hydrated. What are some ways to perhaps like speed up that hydration process? Well, the goal with a high, the goal with like a hydration drink is to try and keep as much of the fluid in your system, right? So if you just drink a lot of clear water, sometimes that will just pass through really quickly. Yeah. So what you want to do is you want to keep that in. So sometimes mixing that with carbohydrate. And that's the kind of rationale behind sports drinks. With yep. Now, that has been dragged out of proportion. You have like sugar water now. But yeah. a sports drink, a smoothie can be a great way of hydrating. Yeah. You know, a cup of coffee, you're hydrating. Yeah. You know, that's a good way to, to sip on a decent sized cup of coffee. Um, some juice in the morning. They're my main ones that, that I go with. Like your pre-workout, you're mixing the pre-workout in. And sometimes that'll have some carbohydrate. A lot of times they're sugar-free, but they'll have some some electrolytes in there. But trying your best to sip on it so so the main the main tip i'll give is sip on your drink rather than chug your drink mm. when you chug a bunch of water there's pressure receptors in our blood vessels that will respond to this like acute increase in pressure yeah. and they'll basically tell your body to excrete the water even though you're not even hydrated yeah. so you'll start that's why i always say don't use the frequency of peeing to tell yourself that you're hydrated because you know some people wake up They'll take some water and then they'll have to pee again. They'll be like, oh, I'm hydrated because my body wouldn't have to pee if I'm not. Yeah. Like, your pee is radioactive, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. definitely not hydrated. <laughs> so make right. sure you're looking at the actual color yeah. of the urine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Sipping because there's too, it. too drastic of a change in blood volume too, right? Yeah. Like too quickly. Exactly. And that's, you know, I'm actually working right now on writing an article on electrolyte supplementation, right? Nice. Seeing what the benefits are, what the hype is because there's a lot of hype too, but there is some utility, right? And what you were just touching on that's really interesting is like, you don't just drink water and become hydrated, right? Like the term hydration simply means that you have, well, appropriate blood volume, right? And that your cells have sufficient water and they're adequately hydrated too. So it's like you drink fluid, it goes into your stomach, it goes into your intestine, from your intestine, it goes into your bloodstream, Right. And if there is a big variation in blood volume there, because when you drink fluid, you increase blood volume. If you do that too quickly, you're going to excrete some of it. Right. Because there shouldn't be a a really rapid shift in your blood volume and your blood volume is actually pretty stable. Right. So if you're drinking it slowly, it's going to be more beneficial. And then once it gets into your blood, then from your blood, it goes into your different tissues and you hydrate those tissues. Yeah. In those situations, if, if you need to really hydrate quickly there's, and you're starting from a position where you're dehydrated, 
definitely having a beverage that has both carbohydrates and electrolytes seems to be yes. beneficial, right? And that's yeah. most sports drinks, but actually oral rehydration solutions seem to be a little bit more effective, right? And the only difference there between a sports drink and an oral rehydration solution is the concentration of the amount of yeah. stuff in the beverage. Yeah. And again, you're not going to be measuring the concentration of your drink, but really interestingly, a more dilute drink actually seems to be better than a more concentrated drink. And you're like, oh, why would that be? Like, don't you want more of the stuff? It's like, not really, because if you have, you have to think of it this way. If you have, and a, this is what we'll call a, um, forget the specific term, essentially a drink that is more dilute than the concentration of carbohydrates and electrolytes in your blood. Hypotonic. Hypotonic, exactly. I was thinking hypohydration. I'm like, no, that's not the term hypotonic, (laughs) right? So a hypotonic drink the concentration of electrolytes and carbohydrates in the beverage are less than that in your blood. Why is that beneficial? Because then you're essentially to an extent diluting your blood. So it has more water. And so the concentration of these, of the solutes, the electrolytes and the carbohydrates are actually higher in the tissues and lower in the blood, which means that the concentration of water is higher in the blood and lower in the tissues. So you have passive movement of water from your blood into the tissues. So if you have um, an electrolyte beverage or something that has carbohydrate and electrolytes like Gatorade powder and you're mixing it and it's like the flavor is really sweet and really strong. It's probably a little too concentrated. And from a hydration perspective, if you actually dilute it, so it just has a light taste, that's going to be a lot better. That's why some yeah. sports drinks like don't have a really strong flavor. And you're like, Oh, this isn't super sweet. That's purposeful. Uh, but I just, I did want to share that because I do think for some people, like, man, if you wake up first thing in the morning and go exercise, like, right away, some of those things can be really helpful, right? Because yeah. you'll hydrate better, can potentially reduce muscle cramping, can potentially reduce dizziness, can yeah. potentially yeah. improve, like, there's also evidence on rate of perceived exertion, like hydration status, right? It's like, you might still go to the gym and work out, but shit just feels harder. <laughs> so it's like, if you're yeah. adequately hydrated, it just doesn't feel as hard. There's a crazy kind of line of thinking on that. And there's this position paper that a guy wrote and he says, hey, we don't actually even know if like mild dehydration affects performance at all. Usually if you have pretty conscientious, motivated, you know, athletes, they're going to perform to the same level. It's just, we can't blind people in studies. Like we can't tell someone they're hydrated mm. when they're not. Like we're clearly dehydrating you. And then you have that effect that they see I'm what's still going to push. Yeah. Well, they're saying like, you know, in studies where they're trying to see the effects of dehydration, athletes know they're being dehydrated and so they're probably getting the placebo effect and they're probably underperforming. But they say, if we truly blind the people, we don't even know if they would, they would underperform. But the main finding across the board is the perceived exertion piece. Mm -hmm. That shit just feels harder. And I always say to people, you know, you get into the gym, you've been doing everything right. You're sleeping right. You're eating right. Everything feels good. You haven't drank in a few days, like drank alcohol. And you just feel, you just don't have it. You know those gym sessions yeah. where you just don't have it. It could be the hydration piece. So yeah. adding in, you know, a sports drink. And just lastly, on the different sports drinks, that's a, you made such a good point, Joey, on the different types. So the new Gatorade sports formula, it's like that little square bottle. That's mm-hmm. a perfect isotonic drink. Uh, or and then you know, I can move into right? the, the isotonic. Uh, isotonic is the ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Hypotonic. You make a good point that if like you're underhydrated and you haven't just lost a bunch of sweat and you're trying to make back those, mm-hmm. those electrolyte levels, hypotonic is good. But for people after a session, you know, isotonic is like, 
it's a mild amount of a moderate amount of sugar and electrolytes. Yeah. So that's the square bottle, the square Gatorade bottle, body armor, and the Powerade Ion 4. So you'll okay. see them in most gas stations. But then the normal Gatorade, just cut that with a bit of water because yeah. that has a bit, like a bit too much. Yeah. It's a bit too concentrated. Yeah. 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 Those are awesome tips there, man. Thank you for sharing those. I didn't know that new Gatorade was an isotonic solution. I was just like, yeah, you just changed the bottle for no reason. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> they just woke up because body armor were just doing much better than them. You know, body armors like, taste so much better, dude. Yeah, they do. We get body like the the light ones. I just love the flavor of body armor. Yeah, yeah, they're so good, dude. Okay, so we've talked about a lot so far. Overall energy intake, certain situations where athletes might actually want to consider eating more rather than under eating, right? Because I feel like sometimes athletes too are like, "I'm too slow. I'm too this. I need to actually lose weight." they're already skinny. It's like, they don't even have that much muscle. It's like, you actually probably do better if you start eating a little bit more. So in some situations, eating a little bit more is, is the correct answer, right? We talked a little bit about nutrient timing, specific recommendations before and after training. Of course, timing is not nearly as important as total food intake, but if you're already nailing down your total food intake and you want to step it up another notch, you want to focus on these timing recommendations, right? And then we talked about perhaps hydration, some general hydration tips, really just focusing on the color of your urine, making sure you're sipping on water throughout the day. And then one last thing I wanted to touch on, and I'll open up the floor for any other topics that you want to talk about. If there's any other general tips here for performance, what about supplementation? What are some of the most effective supplements? When should people take them? Why should people take them, right? Because not everybody should take every supplement. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so your main ones, well, obviously, creatine is going to be huge here for pretty much all athletes. And there's um, some research coming out, like we know the benefits of creatine for muscle gain and strength and power sports, but endurance sports has been one area where it's not really been recommended because we didn't really know if it, you know, can benefit, benefit performance there, but there's some new research coming out showing it can. And what I say is like, isn't increased muscle mass and strength important for endurance athletes as well? Of course, pretty much across the board, creatine is a, is a good, a yeah. good one to go with. I'd say creatine, interestingly, from an endurance standpoint, also probably has a very big benefit on the hydration components, mm. right? Because the benefit of endurance for building muscle is not that it inherently builds muscle, it's that it lets you push a little bit harder in the gym, right? Yeah. But it is very hydrating because when you take up creatine in your muscle, you're taking in a ton of water too. So that might be the main mechanism by which it benefits endurance training. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, I haven't yeah, really looked at it. Yeah. <laughs> basically, without being that strong, yeah. without using strong language like that, basically, yeah. I remember I did a workshop, one of my first ones with this company, O2X, and the guy, one of um, you know the the head guys came up to me that like runs the company said, we just have to be a little less aggressive with our recommendations. And I was like, oh, really? What did I? And he was like, creatine, you came on a little strong. I was like, oh, my bad. <laughs> But so creatine, whey protein, just simply a crutch to get higher protein intakes. That's it. You know, sometimes, Joe, you'll know this. You get messages on social media. It'll be like, you know, a middle-aged woman or a man. And it's, hey, I'm trying to lose some weight. I'm thinking of starting protein. And I'm like, we just associate whey protein with yeah. this like pinnacle of health, yeah. right? It's or, like, just don't tell people you're natural anymore, though, because then you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just a crutch to get more protein. That's what a lot of supplements are. They're not this extra compound that you don't have access to through the diet. It's just getting um, higher levels of that. And it's the same with creatine. We get creatine, you know, through animal products and we yeah. synthesize it in the body. You're just getting, you know, three to four times that through regular creatine intake. Um, whey protein. 
other than that, caffeine can be good for most yeah. athletes, endurance, uh, power sports. And we're, that's the piece with the perceived exertion. Again, yeah. it can reduce the perceived exertion of high output training. You know, when you're lifting heavy weight or you're going into the high rep ranges, what it can also do is improve your reaction times and your, your, mm -hmm. uh, like your reaction speed. So that yeah. pertains to, you know, team sports and things, things like that. What else? Okay, so nitric oxide supplements. These mm -hmm. are pretty popular in the literature right now. And this is, uh, we get it mainly from beets. And basically, we take it in as nitrates. And then that's converted to a thing called nitrite, which is then converted to nitric oxide. I might be listen losing a few listeners here. But basically, nitric oxide can act on the wall of the blood vessel and allow it to dilate, mm -hmm. which can improve the delivery of oxygen. And so that's what these supplements are shown to improve is like, oxygen delivery and it can reduce yeah. the oxygen cost of higher intensity exercise and these are pretty you know these are pretty effective in the literature right now for for athletes um but you you know whatever training you're in because there's also blood pressure benefits of these doses of yeah. nitric oxide you know um and i heard there's a there's an epidemic on our hands of people using mouthwash because what mouthwash does is it kills the bacteria in our mouth that converts nitrate to nitrite so hmm. yeah, limit your mouthwash use to like once a day. That's a, that's a recommendation. You also get these, these nitrates from, you know, dark leafy greens, but in a, you know, a beet juice supplement, you get a, it's a lot more concentrated with them. You know, that's interesting about the mouthwash. I'll definitely, you'll definitely have to share that with me. Cause I'd, I wonder how large the effect actually is, but I definitely have to read that to see, because it's like, is doing it once a day, bad two times a day, three times a day. If, I don't so know. So, so I have a couple of dietitian friends and I almost called them out on these because I was so blown away by the percentage of like reduction in nitrate to nitrite synthesis. It was crazy. It was one of these things that people post and you're like, all right, chill out. This is too aggressive. Like there's yeah. no way this is evidence-based. Yeah. I dove into this stuff and it's pretty. Yeah. But a lot of that occurs in your body, like after you swallow something too. So I guess my question is how important is that conversion in your mouth specifically? Well, the nitrite to nitrate, I believe is primarily in the mouth or the nitrate to nitrite. Hmm. I believe, I'm, but I could I'm be I'm not sure to be honest. I'd have to look into it. But yeah, with, with nitric oxide we'll supplements, in. another really beneficial thing is citrulline, citrulline malate, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Because so arginine is a direct precursor to nitric oxide in the endothelial cells, which are the cells that line the inner lining of your blood vessels, right? But arginine supplements aren't really well absorbed in the stomach or in the intestine, I should say. So yeah, citrulline is actually the precursor to arginine, which is then used to nitric oxide to be converted to nitric oxide. But citrulline is has a much higher rate of absorption. So with all pre-workouts, like you'll notice none of them can contain arginine anymore. And they used to just a couple of years back. And now like all of them contain citrulline malate and citrulline is going to be beneficial for both resistance and endurance training, really. Um, just because that dilation in your blood vessels, like you mentioned, increased overall blood flow, right? So you get yeah. more oxygen, but also more nutrients being delivered to you, to, to the yeah. different tissues. And you can argue that that's probably beneficial from a recovery perspective too, right? So citrulline or beetroot powder, any of those are going to be providing different precursors for nitric oxide. Is there anything else you would recommend? Yeah, so that same pathway with one um, one uh, form not being you know accessible or absorbable is beta alanine. So beta yeah. alanine is an augmented amino acid, and we can absorb that. And 
carnosine is what we're trying to get more of, but that's yeah. not very, that's not well absorbed. So, yeah. um, and what that can do is it can basically, this is for people who are training at very high intensities, Yeah. right? So beta alanine, you know, the, it's usually in a lot of pre-workouts and it gives you the face tingles. They call it paresthesia. That's what I literally hate. That's why I can't take it. I just I hate love it. it, dude. Yes. People are like, I put a story up the other day and people are like, I fucking love this. This is why I take it. And I'm like, what? I have issues, bro. When I feel my face super tingly, that's like when I feel like I'm ready to freaking destroy the weights. <laughs> Probably look into that, man. So yeah. So, and, and that can help with higher intensity performance, you know, along the same lines is, oh my God, I'm always forgetting the, the... betaine. Be all betaine that can help. Yeah. Um, betaine no, but seems the... to be beneficial, particularly in heat, right? Like if you're training mm, outdoors, endurance yeah. training in the heat, betaine can be beneficial there for prolonging exercise duration. And then one thing I wanted to touch on, on beta alanine. So, because I know a lot of people, well, all pre-workout supplements pretty much have beta alanine and high intensity exercise yeah. is where it's beneficial, but the duration also matters too. So like, if you're doing a really heavy set of like three or five reps and that's like 15, 20 seconds, probably not that beneficial yeah, for yeah. exercise duration. So this would, wouldn't even be too applicable to like long endurance, but mm. high intensity between one to three minutes, yeah. right? That could be like a basketball play, or it could be a superset at the gym, anything where you're exerting pretty high, high intensity or high effort between one to three minutes or so beta alanine is definitely going to be very, very beneficial there. Yeah. And so what it's doing, and the other one I was trying to remember is sodium bicarbonate and they kind of oh, both yeah. have similar Same effects, thing. right? Intracellular yeah. and extracellular buffers. So what they can do is they can basically, they reduce the buildup of these, um, you know, the hydrogen. The hydrogen. Yeah. yeah. And so you're, it's not necessarily reaching higher intensities. It's pushing out the time you can maintain the higher intensity. You yeah. know what I mean? So, so that's, and that's exactly what you mean. The longer duration, high intensity sessions. Yeah. Um, and then just on your note about temperature, right? We're coming into the summer. A lot of research going into menthol, whether it's a mint, mm. chewing gum, um, a drink, menthol, you know, what it does is it basically tells our body we're cooler yeah. without actually affecting the temperature whatsoever. So it's, it, ha it must have a similar nervous system impact like the carbohydrates we were talking about. Yeah. So we're about to go out in really high temperatures. Um, you know, central fatigue is directly dependent on body temperature. So yeah. if your body's heating up, it's going to, it's going to be more likely to fatigue earlier on. So if you have something like menthol or just even ice cold water as your pre-workout drink, you're well with the ice cold water, you're actually probably bringing down your body temperature, but, um, very, very small amounts of course, but with the menthol, you're signaling to your body that you're colder than you are yeah. and that can delay fatigue. So it's really interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. Yeah. Definitely don't have spicy chilies then before training. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All to All right, brother. Thought, you'd be, you'd be uh, sitting on the toilet. <laughs> Let's go ahead and wrap this up. I think we've been talking for almost like an hour and a half. Almost. Oh, damn. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Dude, this was Hopefully awesome, we man. Kept the listeners. Uh, yeah. I, I honestly really enjoyed this second half of the conversation uh, a lot. So hopefully. First half was shitty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your fault, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> all right man well dude as always pat it's a pleasure speaking with you man do you want to let anybody uh not anybody everybody know where they can find you your social media your business your website what you do there yeah so just real quickly i just say my instagram because i have that link tree that everyone has and you can go scroll down the links um so it's pat underscore sports nutritionist don't if you're not an athlete still go follow because i'm not just talking to athletes it's like we I should change it to like performance nutrition, but that's just way too long. 
And then I have all my links there, but I do, I do obviously coach with team bio lane. If anyone is pretty athletic and you're looking to improve your performance, you can reach out to me. And then I also have Ubuntu nutrition. It's on the hat here. Um, and this is where I work with, um, well, I offer resources and kind of education to coaches, to aspiring coaches who are building their online business. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's me, man. And you just started a podcast with Ubuntu as well, right? Yes, I did. Yep. So just started a podcast where I'm just doing episodes centered around building your coaching business and insights and how to deal with common obstacles. I'm actually going to record an episode today about five reasons your clients are, uh, they're gaining weight that's not related to actually weight gain. You know what I mean? It's water retention, lack of sleep, their period, things like that. So um, just helping coaches improve their quality of their service and to ultimately help their clients improve yeah. their life. You know? Yeah, man, that's fantastic. We'll definitely link that. We'll link all that stuff in the description of this episode. And for those of you guys listening, although his podcast is directed to coaches, the information is still very practical, right? And maybe yeah. even it's, it might be even beneficial for somebody to listen to these things from the perspective of a coach. Absolutely. Because it might help you think about your nutrition, your health in a slightly different point of view that perhaps you didn't think about previously. Anyways, guys, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. If you've listened this far, please, please, please take a second to leave a rating. These episodes take a lot of time and efforts and they're completely free and you're getting a really high level education here. And all I ask is for you guys to leave a rating and let me know if you enjoyed the podcast. And if you're listening on YouTube, please give it a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel and uh, thank you.